Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to another FAQ episode of Ashto Resource Q&A. With me is Kim Swanson. Hello, Kim. Hi, Brian. Great to be here again. I always love these FAQ episodes. And we thought we were going to do something a little bit different than a traditional FAQ. And I asked you to kind of go through your email this week and see if there's any good questions we can pull from for this episode. So we have a mail call episode for FAQs. So you excited about this? I am. And this is great because I just came back from vacation and I've got a ton of emails to go through. So this is going to help me. I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to these people. They just have to listen to the episode and uh, get their answers yes. a month later. Does that yes. sound good? I think that sounds great. I great think customer as, service. Yes. And great communication. Just send a link to this episode and be like, here's your answer. Yeah, I'm not really going to do that. No, we're not. But if anyone listening does have a question you want Brian or I to answer on the podcast, you can email podcast at ashtoresource.org or send Brian an email directly. But let's dive right in. One of the questions you got, Brian, that you shared with me is, I can't find my laboratory on the Ashto accreditation directory. Why is that? Well, you know, usually the easiest answer is the correct answer. And in this case... The answer was that that laboratory was not ASHTO accredited. Sometimes there's some confusion about what accreditation is. And in this particular case, the laboratory was only participating in the proficiency sample program. And they misunderstood that as meaning that they were also ASHTO accredited. So I did clear that up for that particular customer. There's plenty of information on the website, and we've gone over this topic a lot but I did think it was good to talk about it here too, just because I, I think it's good for the, our listeners to realize that there is confusion. And maybe when somebody says they're accredited, they just don't know what that means. Uh, so that is the answer to that one. Yep. And I want to let our listeners know that in season one, episode 35, we have an FAQ episode just about the accreditation directory. So if you want more questions about what the directory is, how to use it, what kind of information is on there, that episode is available, season one, episode 35. Yeah, thanks. And and there's one other thing I'll mention is sometimes the name is not exactly what you are expecting. So if there is, or, or you may mistype the name, so definitely check that out. Our directory will search in partial names. So you can, you know, if your name is uh, several words long, you may enter the first word and it may produce the result you're looking for. So uh, try it out. If you can't find it still, uh, feel free to get in touch with me. Yes. And our administrative staff also will be happy to answer those simple questions. I don't know if you need to necessarily bug Brian with that, but you can email info at ashtaresource.org with a question about that directory. Also, if you're looking for a specific directory listing and you can't find it, and it might be a name issue or someone's doing business as something else that, that can be kind of confusing, there is a location tool to search for as well. So maybe just look for that city and you know that they're accredited um, and you can kind of go through the list that way um, by location. It might be a, a better way to find find yourself and kind of see if there is an error or if you are not actually accredited. Good point. So, so thanks for that, Brian. So another email question that you shared with me 
was about accreditation, shockingly enough. Um, but the gist of the question, as I understood it, was that E329 allows for accreditation to be extended to other facilities. Why doesn't the Astro Accreditation Program allow for that? Well, uh, we do allow for that, but not the way that uh, some customers may expect. So, so we actually have a process for formally extending accreditation to temporary site facilities, and we've covered that in we have policy and guidance document as well as uh, an episode of the podcast that covers that topic. So we do allow it, but it has to be through a controlled manner. Uh, a laboratory doesn't have the freedom to just declare all of their locations accredited just because their main facility is accredited. And I will say one other thing, if knowing that sometimes a specifier will reach out to me with that question and I let them know, and if the customer pursues that knowing what the answer is, we would then consider that to be a false claim of accreditation, which that can be uh, pretty serious. So if you are in a situation where you're really trying to convince a specifier that the procedure is not what it, what it is, please uh, avoid that and just get in touch with us and let's go through the formal process of extending accreditation if that's what you need to do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I want to say that we have, I believe we go into a li- this into a little more detail on season one, episode 13, the FAQ about mobile lab accreditation. I believe we go into te- temporary facilities as well during that episode, if my memory serves me. So. I, I believe so. Yeah. And mobile, mobile laboratories, just for those of you who didn't check out that episode, a mobile lab uh, it's just a fully accredited lab that is transportable, but a temporary extension is a different process mm-hmm. uh, that's up to a year uh, extension from a main facility. So if you have a mobile lab that you're always using, moving from job to job, that's probably more appropriate than going with the temporary site accreditation. Yeah, and we definitely go into that in some more details in that episode, and we do have policy and guidance documents on that as well. So semi-related, Brian, you shared with me you had another question about who needs to be on site for a temporary laboratory full-time, who doesn't need to be full-time. Do you want to explain that question and then explain the answer to it? Okay, that works. So this question was kind of an offshoot of the temporary laboratory uh, extension of accreditation issue. So what this laboratory was asking about is who needs to be on site full-time when there's a temporary accreditation extension. So imagine that you have a laboratory and you've got a project somewhere in a remote area or one that's far from your office, too far for you to to just travel to every day or even once a week. Then the the question is, okay, well, if we're going to be permitted to follow through on this process of extending accreditation to that site facility, who actually needs to be on site at that facility full time and who can dispense their responsibilities or duties remotely and if they're handling their their duties remotely how often do they actually have to be on site at that facility for them to qualify for that extension well the the answer to that is that any of the normal testing activities are going to have to be conducted by people who are on site in any immediate supervisory, so supervisory, not technical direction, uh, supervisory duties will have to be conducted by somebody who is ostensibly on site. So it's kind of a continuum where you've got technicians have to be there. That's mm-hmm. that's absolute. 
supervisors have to be there most of the time for this to qualify. Mm -hmm. So that, that doesn't mean they have to be there every single day, but they need to be there pretty much all the time uh, to make sure that what's going on is what's supposed to be going on. And then you've got your technical director level and that person can be there a lot more sparingly. So they can usually monitor what's going on remotely. They do need to, to make an appearance there periodically to make sure things are being done correctly and that they're in line with that company's uh, quality management system because management is a very critical role in the quality management system. So they need to make sure everything's going the right way, but they don't have to be there every day and necessarily every week even. But I would say at a minimum, you're, you're looking at the technician and the supervisor of the technicians is going to have to be there a lot. That makes sense. And I think, we again, we did go into this a little bit, I believe, when we were talking about those policies um, that we've had as well. So if you want more details in previous episodes, we did go in the, into that a little bit more. And again, we have a policy and guidance document that kind of explains it as well on our website, correct? Yeah, we, I, I believe so. And and we the reason why we have those is because we do get these questions. And the best we can do is to provide that information up front to people so we can, number one, be transparent about what our policies and interpretations of those policies are. And two, so that both the laboratories pursuing that and the specifiers who are agreeing to that know what the parameters are. They know what they're doing, They like in the context of what our policies are. So they can plan for it, and then uh, the specifiers will know exactly when we say that it's an extension of accreditation to a temporary site facility, they'll know what they're agreeing to if they say, yeah, we're going to sign off on that, and we'll say that we we are okay with you doing that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Now, this next question, we actually don't have another episode on, so I'm not going to be plugging in another episode of this, but I think we might in the future, so stay tuned for that. But, Brian, you shared with me someone reached out and asked how they would add ISO IEC 17025 accreditation to their existing R18 accreditation. That's a big one. And I think that is something we'll cover in a future episode, but it's unlike the other standards that we add to the program. So it's not like adding uh, ASTM C1077 where you just have to send us some certification information and a couple other documents to show that you're in conformance. 17025, is a standard that we have created our own separate uh, assessment process for that's more in line with the international accreditation program schemes where it's a lot more sampling interviewing and a couple different quality processes that we follow for that assessment and accreditation than we do for our normal ashto accreditation for r18 E329, C1077, and the like. Uh, so if you want to add ISO IEC 17025 to your ASHTO accreditation, you have to complete a request for assessment, and one of our ISO auditors will be in touch with you about scheduling and procedures and expenses for that. Mm -hmm. And we do have a page on our website. If you go to the ASHTO accreditation section of our website, so ashtoresource.org slash AAP, there is a tab there for ISO IEC 17025. I will say we have been accrediting for that standard since March 2000, which I found pretty interesting. It's been, it's that old in our program. Yeah, we're not new to the ISO world. Uh, we're, for those of you who don't understand why we do things differently than the international community, 
Uh, it really suits uh, the needs of our specifiers, including the sponsors of the program, which are the DOTs, and quite a few others out there throughout the United States that want us to evaluate or assess the conformance to all of the individual test methods in addition to the quality management systems, uh, the way that we do it. That is not in line with what the international community does. They do more of a, a sampling, in which case they would, let's say you're accredited for 10 standards, they might watch three or four of them and then assume that the other ones are okay because you have a quality system in place that uh, controls how your work is conducted. And because that's being followed, then all of those other standards are being followed. That's not the strategy that we use and not the strategy that our spot specifiers or sponsors would like us to use. So that's why it's a little different. Yes. And I will say we currently have over 20, almost 30. I couldn't quite count that fast as you were talking, currently accredited laboratories that for ISO 17025. So we have over yeah. 20 laboratories right now that are currently hold that accreditation actively in some since 2000 um, and others have been added this year. So it's kind of a growing program, slow and steady, but it is an offering that we have available. So there is more information on that. Our last question for this FAQ mail call episode is why didn't we withdraw accreditation when a laboratory stopped receiving CCRL services? That's a good one. And, and the way that question came about was pretty interesting. So a, a laboratory had just undergone an AASHTO resource assessment for soil and aggregate testing. The corrective actions were accepted and the accreditation directory was updated. And the laboratory noticed that they did not lose their concrete accreditation at that point, And they wondered why not. So I, I looked into it and I thought, boy, I, I don't I don't know why we would have taken it away because generally we don't make any changes unless we hear from CCRL or if the laboratory reaches out to us and says, hey, we're not going to continue to maintain accreditation for this. Please withdraw the accreditation. So in this case, I looked into it and I got back to the laboratory and I said, um, what uh, indication did you provide us with that would have prompted us for removal of the concrete tests? And the answer I got was that we stopped participating in the proficiency sample program for CCRL. Now, I think in the customers, from the customer's point of view, what would have made sense is CCRL would have immediately notified us, said this laboratory is no longer participating, and then we would take action or, or check with them and say, okay, do you know that that means that you're going to lose your accreditation for concrete testing? And then in this case, they would have said yes, and then we would have taken care of it. Now, that that happens sometimes, but it doesn't always happen. So what I would say to the laboratory is, if you intend to make a change to your accreditation directory listing, you need to notify us in writing. Now, that can be, uh, it doesn't have to be a handwritten letter. It can be an email but it needs to be very specific about what you intend to withdraw or we will not do it. We actually updated our procedures recently so that if a laboratory communicates the interest in changing their accreditation scope, we will ask them to send us confirmation in writing so that we have confirmed the exact details that they need. So like in the case of this laboratory, I sent them an email showing their listing and I said, you know, please indicate 
which standards you intend to withdraw from. And then the laboratory responded and gave me the list and then we took care of it right away. So uh, that is how you do it. If you want to make a change, you need to send it to us in writing and we can take care of it. We want to make sure that we're delivering the service as expected and that there is accountability so that if a laboratory, if someone from the laboratory says, hey, we need to drop this and we drop it. And then all of a sudden somebody else from the laboratory says, I didn't sign off on that. Why did you do that? We can say, well, it's because this person said that this is what you intended to do. So we took care of it. That happens yeah. sometimes too. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sure there's some miscommunication there for sometimes in the laboratory as well. So a question about this for that I have is that the laboratory could have just waited, like we would have eventually realized that they are not participating in that sample and that they are not obviously getting inspections for that from CCRL. So it would have been removed from their accreditation in, in the course of the some some mechanism correct like that's correct yeah periodically i get notifications from ccrl about changes and then we follow up on those um, but it's not a there's no automation involved mm -hmm. with it there's nothing that there are our systems don't necessarily talk to each other our organizations do but our systems don't so that there's no database uh, overlap there that can help facilitate that kind of communication also as opposed to just letting us naturally figure that out, one of the benefits of letting the ASHRAE accreditation program know and being proactive of getting something removed is that then you're not charged for that, correct? Because if we didn't know about this, we would still be charging for the accreditation and that would be included on in your invoice for the laboratory, correct? That is correct. And, and this comes up a lot where people assume that if they don't undergo an assessment that they, their accreditation just expires. It doesn't really do that. I mean, we'll notify you. Let, let's say that you have an assessment coming up next year, but this year you've decided that you want to drop it. If you don't tell us that, you're going to get a bill for the year of, in, of accreditation on April 1st of 2022. Uh, and we're going to expect you to pay that. So I, it, you really have to let us know what's going on. If things have changed, if you have dropped your accreditation intentionally or Think, you know, you've decided to go a different direction with your business and you no longer like if you no longer need it or you, you no longer perform those tests anymore uh, or have just decided that the accreditation isn't right for you. Let us know as soon as possible so we can get it right and we don't charge you unnecessarily. Perhaps this might be a, an episode, a future episode where we go in a little bit more depth and it's not crammed into here. So if we if you think that we need to discuss this more, let us know and we can go into this deeper. Is there any other questions that you've gotten this week that you want to discuss in the FAQ mail call? I think we're good for now, but I still have a lot of emails to go through since I just got back. But uh, we'll, we'll see what else comes up, and we may have another one of these uh, mail call episodes in the near future. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240 436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.